Episode 26, Liars Are Twisted People. Rethinking the Bible with Jack Pelham. Welcome to Rethinking the Bible. This is an audio podcast where we apply reality-based thinking to interpreting the Bible. Reality-based thinking is my name for a philosophy that seeks to make constant use of honesty, rationality, and responsibility in seeking out the reality of things while trying to avoid common errors. And for the record, I define reality as the state of things as they actually exist as opposed to one's perceptions, beliefs, or wishes about them. And you should know, this is a serial podcast, so it's best if you start from episode one and work your way forward from there, because we lay some foundational principles up front and you'll be lost later if you skip them now. I assume you can hear the rain in the background. I'm in the great room this morning. And uh, it is uh, quite raining outside for Montana. It's nice to have it. We always need it uh, here. And uh, I thought I would give it a whirl today to try to record with that. I'm sorry I don't have a um, a more proper studio where I am enclosed and uh, insulated from the world. But uh, if this is too bothersome, uh, you can fuss about it and I won't do it again. This will be a short episode. Today I'll be reading from another blog post I wrote on March 5. Uh, called Liars or Twisted People. And uh, I think you will find there were probably no scriptures quoted in this uh, episode. However, uh, it is so much about the topic of our thinking and uh, reality and such that it's highly relevant to what we're doing here in general. So, um, so here it is. I'll be reading from this uh, post that I wrote on my blog at jackpelham.com. Liars are twisted people. We all live in a real world. It was here before we got here, and it will be here when we're gone. And it has rules that do not depend the least bit on our own opinions or wishes, beliefs, traditions, habits, perceptions, concerns, or abilities. For example, gravity is always on, whether we like it or not whether we understand it or not, even whether it hurts us or not. The law of cause and effect is always on, even when the effects hurt us. The sustaining of life takes work, even when we don't feel like working. Truth exists, even when it hurts our feelings or causes us inconvenience. There is a certain fabric to reality, metaphorically speaking, It has certain qualities and properties. It works in certain ways. It is what it is. And most people spend a lifetime learning about it to some extent or another, learning how to navigate this real world. We make our mistakes, and we make improvements, and we learn our lessons, some more easily than others. That is, after living here a while, we learn the ropes, so to speak. We learn how things work. We figure it out. And to some extent, we adjust our own thinking 
and beliefs to better map onto the reality that surrounds us. But some people refuse to let the rules be the rules, at least on some topics. They are unwilling to adjust their own thinking and beliefs to fit the real world, and prefer instead to act as if reality is different from what it is. They take a twisted view of things, believing against reality, against the evidence, and against sound reasoning, and to do this, they have to lie. They lie to themselves and to others. They say things that aren't true. They spin. They exaggerate. They omit pertinent facts. They dismiss, ignore, and excuse. They pretend sometimes that their deliberate misdeeds were mere mistakes or that they were somehow, quote, justified, end quote, on account of some special circumstances that don't really justify them. They assign bad motives to those who have none. They respond in ways that are askew from the questions and challenges put to them. They manipulate or encourage others to believe the lies. That is, they want others to reject reality too. They want company, but also what they seem to really want is to be left alone to play their game unopposed, unchallenged, unquestioned, unexamined, unnoticed. They don't want the light of the truth to be shined in their direction, and many of them are even willing to mistreat others in various ways to make it stop. They've got themselves in quite a bind, as reality does not match up with their own stubborn view of the world. It's a miserable existence, and they constantly look for others who will believe the lies alongside them, and then, when they have found a like-minded friend, it's not long until that like-minded deceit in the new friend bites them too. And the friendship is fractured, ironically, on account of the same type of behavior that the first person pretends is acceptable in this real world. They are a menace to society. But it's worse than that, for there are so many of them that they pretty much constitute our society. And thus is ours a menacing society, a menace to those few who seem to chance upon a more accepting attitude towards reality. Now don't get me wrong. Most liars don't lie about everything. They only lie about some things. And surely, some swim in the deep end of the corruption pool, while others only dabble in the shallow end. But it is, after all, the same pool. To some, it is the pool of pretending against reality, and to others, the pool of raging against reality with all their might, and to still others, it is the pool of recruiting as many as possible to join in on the pretending and raging. But it's the same pool, and what you do in it is up to you. Maybe. But here's a question. What happens when you stay in the pool long enough that it begins to color your outlook on the world? What happens when you completely lose the everyday, commonsensical skills of ascertaining what is true and of differentiating between what is real and what is unreal? Well, in that case, what you do in the pool, while it may still be, quote, up to you, end quote, as I wrote in the prior paragraph, is much more likely to be a matter of habit-based conditioning of an automatic response of the autonomous mind, or the fast mental processes, that some cognitive scientists, such as Daniel Kahneman, call System 1, rather than of your deliberate and well-considered decision-making. That is, you operate as if on cruise control or autopilot, rather than by making well-considered and responsible real-time decisions. And at that point, 
for you to get out of the habit would take extra deliberate effort of the sort that most people are not very willing to endure. And in this way, millions have twisted themselves into reality dysfunctional people. Cognitive scientist Keith Stanovich coined the term dysrationalia to describe the situation in which people who have the mental faculties required for rational thinking fail anyway to think rationally. They can, but they don't. They'd have to rearrange some things in their minds, but they don't. They'd have to be more deliberate and responsible in managing their thoughts and beliefs, but they aren't. And this has become their habit, as has also their lack of concern about the quality of their own internal cognitive processes. It's happened to all of us in various ways, some very serious and some very minor. But who among us ever gets out of that pool on purpose? Whoever decides that they don't want to believe anything that's false, no matter what it might be, or how harmless it might seem. If my observations of this world are accurate in this way, there are very few people who ever take such a deliberate stance on reality. In fact, my very rough and modestly educated estimate is that it's about one person in 100,000 who has such a paradigm. And even if I'm off by an order of magnitude, that number could still be one in 10,000 or one in a million. And 1 in 10,000 is, is a pretty lousy ratio for a society, too. So let me put that last paragraph in perspective. If I'm right about the 1 in 100,000 ratio, that would mean that only about 3,200 people in the United States have this internal paradigm of wanting to believe nothing that is false. That's about one person per county. There are 3,141 counties in this country. Or, if the 1 in 10,000 ratio is more accurate, that's 32,000 people. And that would equate roughly to one such person per city, as there are about 30,000 cities or towns in the U.S. And what about all the rest? Well, they would be the folks who are hanging on to at least one false belief that they know or should know to be false. Many, it seems, will pick and choose what to be rational about. Some, for example, will be surprisingly rational about politics, but not about religion, or vice versa. But this post isn't about irrationality in general, but about liars, right? Well, I'm not so sure it's easy to make the distinction between the two. Sure, the standard definition of liar is one who deliberately deceives others, as opposed to being merely mistaken. But what if they're doing the same thing to themselves? What if they keep on telling themselves things that they know or should know are false? What if they continue manipulating their own worldviews in such ways? Even if a person starts down that bad road when young, shouldn't they be able to figure it out over the decades of their lives that they have got some things out of place? Shouldn't they perceive some patterns? Shouldn't they learn some principles merely by observing cause and effect? I think they should. Isn't it obvious? The person who decides on the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, it's what I call a realiton. Believe it or not, such people are so unimportant to our culture <laughs> that we have no regular word to describe them. So I made up my own word, realiton. But there's already a word for people who choose 
to corrupt the truth of a matter, to pretend it is other than what it is, that word is liar. And for so many, this is considered a completely legitimate way of life, but only if they don't think about it for long. If they did think about it for long, they'd realize that they themselves hate to be lied to, at least in some circumstances. And having realized that, they'd have to deal with the moral question of how it could be wrong when others do it, but not when they do it themselves. Or not. That is, they could always choose not to deal with that moral question. That is, they could choose not to deal with the whole truth of the matter. In his most excellent book, The Honest Truth About Dishonesty, Dan Ariely discusses how a great many people will lie, cheat, and steal, but how they regulate themselves and how this regulation is typically triggered when it becomes difficult for the liar, cheat, thief to feel good about him or herself as a person. When self-scoring on extremely difficult math tests in a situation in which they thought they could get away with cheating, almost nobody would give himself a score of 100% because they would think that's too big a cheat and a good person wouldn't cheat that much. But they will cheat to a lesser degree and are particularly prone to making excuses about it. It was for a good cause, tends to be one of the favorites, as I recall. The excuse, of course, helps them to feel better about themselves. It uh, was, uh, quote, for the kids, end quote, or it was, quote, to keep people from panicking, end quote, or it was, quote, for your own good, end quote, and so forth. Even so, it was still lying, cheating, and stealing, and they can't feel good about themselves if they go around saying, I'm a liar, cheat, thief. So they say, it was for a good cause. And that's a lie. Perhaps not because it's completely false, but because it's not the whole truth of the matter. In other words, it was for a good cause is the redacted version of, well, I lied, cheated, stole, but at least I can feel better about myself if I cite a good cause for it. Why not just be honest instead? What would we lose from that? Indeed, what do we gain from lying, cheating, and stealing that doesn't require warfare against our own minds? We do these things in the moment, and then we have to fight matters of conscience, of negative consequences, of cognitive dissonance, and of broken relationships afterward. When we lie, we don't twist reality, we twist ourselves. Reality is what it is, regardless of the view we take of it. Consider this chestnut. Question. How many legs does a cow have if you count the tail as a leg? Answer. Five? Correction. No, it has four. The tail is not a leg, even if you say it is. The one person will think it's fine to view reality however it pleases us to view it, but the other will see the wisdom in learning to view reality as it actually exists, to the best of our ability to perceive and to interpret it. The liar assumes the latitude to do the former, while the realitan assumes the moral and cognitive responsibility to do the latter. What the liar does requires the liar to live a contorted life, a twisted existence that insists on reinterpreting things into something other than what they truly are. And there is not one of us who has not done this at least once on some topic or another. Meanwhile, there's not one of us who has done it on every topic either. For some truths are indeed useful even to dishonest people. 
But the road that is seldom found is that road that, if followed long enough, would lead one to a life of complete honesty. It is a road of untwisting one's bad habits, even the habits the person doesn't yet realize he has. It is a road of discovery, or as Thomas Jefferson put the idea that I'm referring to, here we are not afraid to follow the truth wherever it may lead. And that's an excerpt from Thomas Jefferson to William Roscoe in a letter uh, from Monticello, December 27, 1820. And that quote again, Here we are not afraid to follow the truth wherever it may lead. Life on this earth could be for us an adventure in learning reality, but for so many it is a twisted exercise in stubborn denial of those aspects of reality that we don't like so much. Well, that's the end of the article, the, uh, the blog post that I wrote recently. And man, has this been relevant uh, lately, especially. There is so much lying going on in our culture. Uh, from the big pharma ads we see on TV, uh, down to, of course, all kinds of other ads, down to things you hear in church, twisted interpretations of scripture. Uh, politics, of course, is just oozing with lies uh, now as always and maybe it's on overtime right now uh, the whole culture is uh, quite a mess and there don't seem to be many people who are calling out every lie they pick and choose now, I'm glad they're calling out the lies but in one sense I get kind of tired of hearing it because I know who I'm hearing it from. In other words, it is difficult to dissociate the hypocrisy with the particular accurate claim that I'm hearing at the moment. Oh, that's fake news. Oh, that thing's a lie. Oh, that's not true. Well, okay, but you're the same person who just covered up one of those things a few days ago when I called it out and you uh, wouldn't play fair. You wouldn't fess up and admit it. So... Uh, it is very, very tiring. It is very confusing to the whole world to live in this kind of a setting. And most people will never figure this out. They will not figure out that uh, the world is pretty much, um, I don't want to use the word filled because I don't want to exaggerate. Uh, if I did, I'd say the world is pretty much filled with lies. Well, Okay, what exactly do you mean? I guess that's worthy of some um, deliberate questioning there. But I think you get my point. There are so many lies that, that they are found uh, nearly everywhere uh, in m most situations. And I do, I realize what I'm doing here. I'm saying that uh, to lie, uh, to exaggerate even, is to lie. And I have an old blog post about that that actually I think got to number one on Google under the question, is, um, is exaggeration lying? Perhaps I should read that one next. Uh, so for the Christian, what does all this mean? Again, uh, to me, this is just a continuation of our entire discussion from episode one on because God cares about how you think. And uh, he did not put us here to twist our own view of the world to suit ourselves, but to learn how things really are, that we're really in his image, 
that he really is righteous, that he really wants us to be righteous. And of course, even that uh, topic, so many have twisted by these uh, certain doctrines, you know, the Calvinist type and all that, that says, oh, we're total wretched worms. We can't possibly do anything right. Uh, Martin Luther, his such unfortunate quote from the uh, trial, uh, when he was on trial and he appeals to them saying, I am capable of naught but error. Well, uh, excuse me, do you have any idea, Mr. Luther, what a logically flawed statement that is? Because if you're capable of nothing but error, wouldn't that have to include this very statement you're just now making? So how could you be right about this if you're wrong about everything? You see where I'm going here? Uh, it is a logical problem, and yet he chose to embrace that way of thinking well, that has got to le lead to some cognitive dissonance if you are a thinking person. If you're not, then you may float something like that out there and even repeat it often and never realize that there's a problem with it. So, uh, you know, it, when he says, I am capable of naught but error, okay, Mr. Luther, I have some questions for you. Is God righteous? And what would Luther say? Well, of course God's righteous. And I'd say, aha, but you're capable of naught but error. Therefore, you must be in error in your answer when you say, of course, God is righteous. You see? So it is a, um, it, he's ducking the issue. It's a dodge. And the fact is he's not uh, capable only of error. And certainly we are capable of that. But he's capable of getting things right, too. In fact, uh, his whole uh, ministry, whatever you, you want to call that, was one of uh, that purported to be telling the truth, did it not? <laughs> I mean, who has a ministry who doesn't think he is capable of telling the truth? Now, some people, again, want to play, oh, the Holy Spirit is the only possible way I could get this done. Uh, okay, <laughs> well... Uh, that's funny because I know atheists who can tell you, uh, hey, Billy, are your shoes tied? Yep, they are. And you look down and sure enough, Billy's shoes are tied. And Billy's an atheist. How in the world did he manage to get that answer right? Well, obviously, you don't have to be a believer in Jesus to recognize a fact and to state the fact accurately. Right? Humans can do that uh, whether they believe in God or not and uh, whether they have the Holy Spirit in them or not. So uh, this is one of those things where people's ideas about their own Christianity, oh, I have the Holy Spirit. Okay, what does that mean? Well, it helps me understand things. Uh, okay, uh, does it help you understand them perfectly? Well, I'd like to think, well, hmm, uh, oh, I don't know. <laughs> right? Because they realize they're in error sometimes. So, oh, well, I just wasn't using the Spirit. I guess I wasn't speaking in faith. Hmm. Okay. Well, you see, it just gets so convoluted, so twisted, and they just can't keep themselves to right thinking. They've got to have quick little answers all packed up in neat little packages wrapped up with bows on top, and uh, things that don't bear out thinking through. And if anything is uh, one of my themes, it's this one that uh, 
to try to pretend your way through life that deep thinking is not required to do well here, that is an error. It just is. And for so many, uh, church is exactly in keeping with uh, trying to purport or uh, to support that error. That is, they want to go to a church that doesn't make them think much, that uh, lets them know everything's going to be okay, everything's fine. Just lay your burdens down here, hand it all over to God. He cares for you. And, you know, and some of these things are good one-liners, but it doesn't paint the whole story now, does it? So come on in, bro. Uh, you know, release your burdens. Uh, you know, feel the Holy Spirit. Just warm your soul. Yeah, okay, but uh, the bro who's in the pew there has a bunch of thinking to do. And God knows he has the thinking to do. God's the one who put him here in this world that requires thinking. And so you want to absolve him from that by giving him some peace experience. I was just listening to um, Christian radio on my way in this morning. And, you know, you see the memes on Facebook where people pick on their own praise and worship bands for these songs that are just highly repetitive, highly repetitive highly repetitive again and again normally slow tempo slow repetition again and again and they pick on this and and probably rightfully so but what are songs like that aimed at doing at they're aimed at slowing down the mind and uh relaxing a person well okay uh, there's probably time for that but where do we get ourselves riled up and go after thinking through things if that's not part of the routine, something's missing. And so uh, I'm just uh, going off on this because this, <laughs> this episode is so short. However, I have begun to read a book, and I, uh, I'm not going to recommend it yet at this point because I don't know how good it will turn out to be. But I love the title and the subtitle. And uh, in fact, uh, how unprofessional is this? I'm going to dig it out right here while I'm talking to you so that I don't have to edit uh, <laughs> this, uh, this audio. So I'm digging the book out of my bag right now. Okay. Yes, how, perhaps I will edit this out. Who knows? Anyway, the title of the book that I've begun to read is The Fear Paradox, How Our Obsession with Feeling Secure Imprisons Our Minds and Shapes Our Lives. And this is by Frank Ferranda, Ph.D., I don't know the author, not read a book of his before. I've only read the first chapter in this book so far. And uh, there's certainly some things in here I don't agree with. Uh, for, for instance, <laughs> boy, I can't even talk. For example, I am, um, he is a, an evolutionary psychologist. He believes we all evolved this way. I am uh, highly skeptical of that view. And so I don't believe anybody's proved that to me yet, that this is how it is. And yet a lot of people believe it. But anyway, this title, The Fear Paradox, I don't even know yet what thing about fear he believes is paradoxical. Uh, but the subtitle, listen to this again. How our obsession with feeling secure imprisons our minds and shapes our lives. I think he's really onto something there. I think we live in a culture that is obsessed with feeling secure. So there's so many things to do in your day. Uh, you get up, you get dressed, you eat, you talk to people, you get the mail, you clean the dishes, you do all these things, and yet we end up, 
we end up being obsessed with having to feel secure in our emotional state. Well, why is that? Who taught us to think that way? And what kind of priority is that? Well, I might have met the new neighbor, but I didn't feel secure. Uh, okay, so you're sending signal that you're standoffish somehow, or you're too busy for other humans? Well, I don't want to, but, you know, it's important that I feel secure at all times, and I'm just going to have to work up to that, I guess. Well, just go meet the new neighbor and say, hi, my name is Jack, or, you know, whatever your name is. And, you know, come on. So uh, I see this all the time. Students come in. They don't want to sing out uh, in my choruses because they're scared of that. Well, I wouldn't feel secure if I were to sing out. Well, you're going to be a lousy singer if you don't because if you don't sing out, we never hear the full voice to be able to work with that and shape it and train it and such. And plus, a chorus that's not singing out sounds pretty lousy and weak. And yet, you know, I'm constantly having to coax people around this. Uh, it's always a treat when somebody walks through the door and is not burdened with that kind of thing. But I think this happens all the time. Well, why don't you study that topic out in the Bible? Well, I'm afraid of what I might find out. I, would, I feel insecure. <laughs> I do not. I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't feel good to study this out, to learn I'm wrong about something. You see? Like, what an insane way of living this is. And yet, it is uh, such a very common thing. So I hope that this book uh, gives me a lot of good information about this because I've been wanting to learn more and more. Well, uh, what does that have to do with this current uh, post that I just read? We have twisted ourselves, our whole culture. You know, right now, we're in a political upheaval where um, a regime that cares less about the uh, basics of American political philosophy uh, less than anybody else in a long time is now in control. And so a great deal is at risk and being destroyed with every week. And yet the American people uh, are not willing to do much about it because they would feel insecure, you know. Maybe you see problems at church, things that need to be dealt with, maybe some unrighteous behavior from leaders or something like this, but you're afraid to deal with it because then you wouldn't feel secure and they've got you all um, conditioned. Well, bro, you know, uh, God appoints the leaders and, uh, you know, Jerry's the leader. So uh, who are you to uh, accuse Jerry of wrongdoing? You know, all this kind of mind games that goes on where, in, in fact, the righteousness of God is not the priority there. It is the church business. It is, you know, towing the line and, and um, being a supporter of the leadership and so forth, uh, even when they're wrong, is, um, is the problem with this. And it is such a very common thing. I, I find it um, amazing how widespread is this. And, of course, when somebody's afraid of the world, afraid to feel uh, uncomfortable... They uh, have a serious problem trying to make sense of the world then. So, of course, they're going to end up lying about a lot of things to themselves. You know, it's that the fox and the grapes, right, from Aesop's Fables. The fox who can't reach the grapes after trying several times as well. They were probably sour anyway. Well, it's a lie. He has no means of knowing that those grapes are probably sour. In fact, 
If he thought they were probably sour, why did he want them in the first place? He's a liar. He's twisted himself. He cannot stand uh, the conclusion that, hey, I tried and I failed. He's not okay with that, so he's got to lie. You see how he twists everything just to suit his own self-view? Well, I, I would feel insecure if I were to admit that I had failed at something. Well, okay, then you failed at two things. <laughs> you failed at getting the grapes, and you failed at telling the truth about yourself. Uh, so it is such a twisted, twisted thing. I do talk uh, frequently about decoupling, and uh, this is a term I learned from Keith Stanovich in reading uh, his works. And it was not a highly developed term as far as I've read so far. But I've thought about it a lot and how we need to be able to decouple uh, from what we've always heard, what are our traditions, uh, from other hearsay, uh, from assumptions, but also from attitudes, from feelings. Uh, suppose, for instance, you walk into a meeting and you've been in a really grumpy mood because you just had an argument with an irrational person. Well, uh, should you walk in and take it out on everybody in the meeting and uh, share your nasty mood with all of them? No. Mature people realize they can decouple from that, even if they need to say, hey, uh, pardon me, folks, if my, uh, if my demeanor, my aspect is low, uh, I was just in a ridiculous argument with somebody, and um, I'm trying to get over that mood now because that has nothing to do with this meeting. So if I should seem to be in a sour mood, uh, please understand where that's coming from, and uh, hopefully you'll see me get out of it here over the next few minutes. I've done that before. I think people are very uh, accommodating with that, and they understand that. And frankly, it sets a really good example for them, too. In fact, I wrote a song for uh, some of my kids in the choir. It's called I'm Going to Be All Right. And uh, actually, I wrote this when I was teaching an etiquette class. I don't have all of it memorized, but the lyrics to the first verse are about decoupling, uh, not in those terms. And it says this, I can be disappointed. No, that's not how it says. <laughs> it, it says, I can be interrupted. Take a break right in the middle. I can stop when you need me, and I'm going to be all right. Feelings can be unpleasant for sure, but I know I can endure. I can be interrupted, take a break right in the middle. I can stop when you need me, and I'm going to be all right. And, of course, the idea is just to teach that, hey, okay, it's unpleasant to get interrupted with something, but I can handle that. And, you know, feelings don't have to be great ones. That's okay. Uh, of course, this comes from um, uh, something I had read previously where a psychologist made a very convincing, I think her name is Rosenberg, it's the Rosenberg Reset, uh, and she made a convincing case about this feeling of embarrassment that happens when we are wrong in front of people or something, that this is actually a physiological response. You feel the flush in your face, the heat in your neck and ears perhaps. Uh, so something's actually happening in the body. There's chemicals released. But the sensation only lasts 60 or 90 seconds, and you could get over that. You can just push through anyway rather than to run off the stage embarrassed, and I'll never go back on the stage again because I forgot my line, right? So uh, if we learn how to decouple from these things, then we can become truth-tellers all the time. But some people tell themselves, they train themselves, or even they're trained by the examples of others, that no, uh, to suffer these feelings of shame or embarrassment or um, 
you know, not liking myself, or being unhappy with myself. These things are just unovercomable. They are just not possible to get over. So there's a lot of reasons people lie. Uh, some people do it for religious reasons. <laughs> you know, I, I shared recently about this person who tells me I'd have more students if I wouldn't post things on Facebook uh, that are controversial. Like, hmm, okay. Well, uh, if it means not telling the truth anymore, I don't think I'm interested in having more students because I'd rather have authentic people uh, people and be an authentic person and uh you know and she told me well you know i recently posted something but i took it down because i realized it was hurting my witness for christ and i just looked at her disbelief i said uh telling the truth is my witness for christ uh that's the kind of jesus i serve he told the truth he didn't hold things back uh he told it like it was even if it was going to offend people or confuse people uh, and then the authentic ones would ask him, what did that mean? The un inauthentic ones did not, did they? They'd never show up again. They'd avoid him unless he's handing out free food again. You know, so I think there's so much here about what kind of people we want to be. And if you think about it, the human imagination is a fantastic gift from God. I don't know if you've ever spent much time thinking about the power of the imagination, but uh, we can simulate things in our heads that are not true. We can imagine, well, what would it be like if we were to take this approach or if we were to turn that thing sideways and run it this like this? We can imagine all kinds of, well, how would this room look if it were painted red or if it were painted yellow? We can do those kinds of things in our head. It is an amazingly powerful function. It is also uh, quite uh, convenient to use the imagination to do bad things. Uh, to imagine lies and deceits and schemes and artifices and things like this. Uh, and people do this quite a lot. And so uh, the, the management of one's own beliefs, one's own imagination, is really what this is all coming down to. What are we like as a person? How are we going to handle this world? Is the truth okay with us? And let me just say that. You know, uh, there are some things that are true that ought not to be true. Uh, for instance, uh, human trafficking is a huge problem in this country, and that ought not to be true. We ought to have fixed that, but uh, certain law enforcement uh, people have not gone after this. They have allowed it to fester for whatever motives, and it certainly ought not to be bad like it is, uh, yet it is very, very bad. Well, when I talk about reality-based thinking, do I mean yielding to reality in things that are changeable? Uh, and well, no, I don't. I think we could fix that and cut that out, uh, a great deal of it at least. We could make it very rare rather than very common like it is. And so, you know, I say all this so as not to be misunderstood what I'm talking about. So, you know, again, this all comes back to the whole discussion from episode one forward. Okay, you're made in God's image. How are you going to handle that? Here's how reality works. How are you going to handle that? Hey, you messed this up. You're accountable for what you did. Well, how are you going to handle that? Uh, there's so much lying and cheating and stealing that goes on, and it happens in the churches. It happens in every human institution. 
There is no institution that's free from cognitive and moral error. It's everywhere. And so the question is, what kind of people are we going to be? I do submit, as is the title of this uh, episode, Liars Are Twisted People. And again, they can't twist reality. They have to twist themselves because they don't like what reality actually is. And what does that say to God who put us here in this real world on purpose? Of course, I believe that uh, our being here is something, and people don't like this, but I'll say it anyway. I believe it's something of an audition. I believe how we behave here is an audition for the next world and whether we get to go there or not. That's the way I see it. And I can tell you the reasons for that. In fact, I'm sure I've already shared a good bit of that along these uh, months since we started. So yes, liars are twisted people. Uh, they can't twist reality. They have to twist themselves in order to view reality the way that they please. <laughs> so sorry about my computer making all the dings. And I suppose I've said enough for one episode. Thanks for joining in. <laughs>